liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of Liberty Lockdown. Today, I have on the great host of the Kim Iverson Show and The Hills Rising. I am so pleased to have you on. Thank you for coming on, Kim. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you guys can follow her on Twitter, at Kim Iverson Show. She is one of my favorite new follows, and I would highly recommend it. So <laughs> I, I wanted to start by getting into the Canadian trucker convoy with you. Uh, this, is, this is the type of meaningful pushback, uh, kind of a populist, almost a what you would imagine being a, a really appealing leftist tactic historically, which is, mm -hmm. you know, workers unions and fighting for minority rights. Uh, I'm curious if you view it similarly or, or how you perceive this. Yeah. I mean, if there's anybody who's going to actually make change, right, it would be the truckers uh, because we've seen, especially with supply chain issues, how valuable truckers are. And I think it's great that these Canadian truckers have realized this and they know their worth, they know their value, they know what they mean to society and how much, people rely on them. And so they have a band together literally in a convoy. And it's like 50,000 trucks, which is really crazy. In fact, I, I read that the the very front of the convoy had reached um, uh, Ontario, the mm -hmm. province of Ontario. And then the back had just exit had just entered Manitoba. I think it's it's, if I'm saying that correctly. And so that, I mean, the, the convoy took the entire length, you know, of a, a took an entire province. So <laughs> it's a really long convoy. It's really, really cool what they're doing. Um, one thing I wish I would have mentioned on my Hill piece that I, I, I guess I just, it, it slipped my mind not to put it in my script when I was writing it up, but um, they're not just protesting the mandates, uh, the, the cross-border mandates for the truckers. They're protesting mandates in general. They're doing this for everyone. They're saying they want to lift mandates and they want freedom for the Canadians in general. And I think that is really, I, I mean, look, we're two years in. Remember when they told two weeks to do this, two weeks to do that. We are two years in now. And a lot of people, especially Canadians, I mean, I have, I've never been more grateful to be an American than I've been these last two years. Um <laughs> because it, you know, because at least we have the freedom to move to a different state. I mean, if you don't like the right. way your state's handling it, like I live in California, but I'm from Idaho. My family's in Idaho, and I would visit. I, I visit Idaho all the time, mm -hmm. and Idaho is a much different culture than California, and especially during this pandemic, they've handled it very differently. And you know, I, I'm here, and everybody wants to mask up, and people are still yelling at each other about, you know, they want to close down schools, they want to keep kids out, and. In Idaho, you don't see very many masks anymore. People are just living life as normal. Um, and so it's like, at least as an American, you have that freedom. The Canadians don't as much. They don't have the same sort of setup as we do. And so there's a lot more federal controls that the government, the federal government is able to put on. Um, I guess it's not a federal government. What do they call it? I don't know. What do they know. call it? Because they're not a federation, right? So, or, yeah, or, it's not federal government, but it's right? the same concept. I mean, basically. They're central government. Central, yeah, um, you yeah, you know, can, could put a lot of restrictions on them. And so, you know, countries like Canada have, have, have really strict restrictions. Um, Australia has yeah. unbearable. I don't know how any of them have put up with it. 
So, you know, it's, it's a crazy world we're living in right now, but wow, those truckers, you know, thank a trucker. My grandfather was a trucker. He was a teamster. And, um, so, you know, and you could, and I, like I said, I'm from Idaho. I grew up in Idaho. So I can't tell you how many times a truck has stopped to help me mm-hmm. when I was on the side of the road. You know, I learned to drive when I was like 14 years old. Cause that's how we, the age we learn in Idaho and you're driving on these back roads where there's no traffic, you know, you get stuck flat tire, you're out there by yourself, you're waiting for a long time before another car passes by. Most of them pass by you, but a trucker will always stop. And that is the one thing. A trucker will always stop and they will always help you out. Even here in LA, I was in a car accident um, three years ago, almost three years ago to the day. And I spun out of control on the, it, it started to rain and I ended up slipping and spinning out of control and I, on the freeway, on the 405 freeway. And I ended up, luckily I didn't hit anything or anyone. I don't know how that happened because I was spinning around on the freeway and I ended up landing in like the, um, uh, kind of like a ditch actually. And my, uh, so my car ended up being almost totaled, but you know, a trucker stopped here, even in LA, a trucker yeah. stopped and helped me out. You know, and, and they're salt called, of the earth, man. They it's, really, it, really are. Yeah, it's and, and you know, I got I'd be remiss not to mention my good friend Reed Coverdale, host of the Naturalist Capitalist, which yeah. you were on just yeah. last, you know, two weeks ago or whatever it was. Um, I mean, these are I, I've got to know a few of them through the social media world uh, over the past couple of years, and and I'm grateful to know them. And uh, speaking of thanking truckers, let's check out uh, our good friend jo- Justin Trudeau, who today said oh, that. Boy. <laughs> today he said that you cannot trust these people as they have um unacceptable opinions and 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 as of march 31st 2020 he said while many of us are working from home there are others who aren't able to do that like the truck drivers who are working day and night to make sure our shelves are stocked so when you can please thank a trucker for everything they're doing and help them however you can i just thought that was beautiful yeah yeah, how how times have changed. I mean, now it's like, oh, these truckers, they're uh they're alt-right um separatists <laughs> who, you know, like all these terrible bad things, right? And then they they say um and, you know, and they were doing that about nurses and doctors and everybody as well. Exactly. It's just insane, yep. totally insane. Yeah, they they all sacrificed. They were our heroes, they were, they were our frontline workers, and now they're white supremacist, Nazi dangerous <laughs> fringe elements that must be put on terrorist watch lists. I mean, it's just so it's so transparent if for anybody that's um, you know, watching from the periphery and not in the middle of this, uh, that essentially racism accusations white nationalist accusations have gotten to such the point of absurdity that it really just means 99% of the time that you're not cooperating with their dictates like that yeah you just that's don't, you don't agree with them if right. you don't agree with them then you're now a white supremacist or a neo nazi or alt right or uh, anti vax or anti science or whatever it is they want to label you rather than actually having a discussion, rather than actually dealing with the issue, they instead just demean and smear and label. And that is what we have devolved into, unfortunately, in this society. It's terrible. It's really terrible. I mean, I, I got to say, it has been a very rough two years on me in terms of like my capacity for forgiveness and, and kindness and sympathy. I fight it every single day to try and maintain my sense of humanity and forgiveness and willing to understand that many of these people were led astray. I'm curious, do you think that there is hope that we can actually, because I'm speaking 
you know, for the people that have opposed this early on. And now we yeah. have people like Barry Weiss and others that are kind of seeing the light two years deep. And, uh, and I don't know. Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of people that are just going, you know, fuck you. Like you had an opportunity to, to be on the, the right side of history and you were wrong. And, but at the same time, like I'm most interested in, in moving along in a peaceable society and I don't really want this conflict to, to get out of control. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I'm happy when people finally join in, you know, I, right. I don't, I don't hold it against them or I, I don't do the whole, I told you so, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, where were you? I, I think it's cause it's counterproductive, right? I mean, the whole reason why I've been screaming at the top of my lungs and often much to, you know, uh, to my detriment. I mean, when I first was starting to talk about all of this, when COVID first hit two years ago, um, almost two years ago now, I was very anti-lockdown from the very beginning and was, was against all of these real draconian measures. And it cost me, it cost me. I mean, a lot of my viewers, you know, I, I've always self-identified as a progressive, not as much anymore. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a progressive anymore because that title has shifted and changed. But, you know, a lot of my viewers, they turned on me. I mean, they were like, how dare you? You're for Wall Street. If you, you know, you want to open the economy for Wall Street. Um, <laughs> well, the ir irony of that with it being the most beneficial thing that may have ever happened to Wall Street. Right, exactly. Bankrupted all the small businesses across the country. So, yeah, you know. yeah. It had the exact opposite effect that, as what they were saying. And, I, and that's exactly what I kept saying. I said, no, no, you guys have got this wrong. The economy mm -hmm. is not Wall Street. Wall Street is Wall Street. The economy right. is mom and pop shops that are being shut down, that are being forced under, and they're not getting any real relief. And then, you know, people would come about that and say, well, then you should be calling on the government to give them relief. And yeah, of course, you know, I, I personally am disgusted that anyone went bankrupt during this pandemic. No business should have been lost whatsoever. It should have been incumbent on the government, especially since they were the ones locking everybody down, to save every single business that they themselves murdered. Um, I, I think that's that those people have they deserve some sort of retribution in the form so, of, I guess, payment or something at this point. Right. I am. I am so grateful to hear you say that, um, you know, and as as a person who's you know anti taxation and anti the state generally, uh, I still can see a really justifiable argument that if the government, which exists against our will, shuts yeah. down my business against my will, they owe me reparations. Right, they know, owe like... me. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I feel the same way about actual reparations as well, um, where I, you know, just to kind of deviate slightly on the subject, um, yeah. you know, it, reparations in general, the way I've always viewed them is, look, if you can show that property was taken from your family or yeah. that something was stolen from you rightfully, you know, and you have a rightful claim to that, then absolutely the government owes that to you. But my caveat on it is, I don't care what color your skin is today. Exactly. So you might be white now, let's say, but your ancestor was black and they were a slave and they had something taken from them. And now you're one of their many um, ancestors, you know, one of their many, I guess, uh, what do we call them? The, uh, uh, you know, many kids, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, you'd have progeny. to split it, right? Yeah, whatever the word is, right? Um, you'd have to split it. So if there's a hundred of you, then you have to split it amongst the hundred of you like mm -hmm. you would any sort of inheritance that is owed with interest. I think the government then would owe you some interest on that. I would say and, a ton of interest over a couple hundred right, years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you, the skin tone that you have today doesn't matter. 
It's mm-hmm. just about pure lineage. It would have to be, we'd have to be able to trace it back and say, you were particularly stolen from. So your, your descendants right, are well, the people that would then benefit see, from this, that. I understand why you no longer call yourself a progressive because you are respecting property rights and you're separating grievance from the, the racial orientation that is necessary in progressive yeah. conversations today. So, yeah. So uh, that's what, so that's it with reparations, but all these businesses absolutely uh, are due reparations for being forced under in my neighborhood alone. I can't count how many restaurants have shut down now. Oh, it's uh, big enormous. restaurants. They're, yeah. they're gone. They're done. They're toast. You know, they never, they didn't survive this and they were doing just fine before the pandemic. And now they're not. Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, I, but with people that are finally coming around, I say, we've got to embrace them. We have to welcome them because this is what we wanted. This is why we were saying all of these things from the beginning. True. You know, we were trying to convince them to see it our way and now they are. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was slow, but look, I, I was slow to the party too on some things. You know, I was slow to the party when it came to progressivism before, you know, now not really calling myself that, but finally realizing the establishment was corrupt Finally realizing that um, you know, the news media establishment is like a one narrative um, <laughs> situation. You know, I, I had to have my eyes opened up to all of that, too. Of course. And so I can't blame, you know, the people that kept saying, to me, no, no, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. It's two sides of the same coin or you've got it wrong. They're they're all bought off or it's all propaganda or, you know. And I was sitting there like, no, no, I trust Reuters and CNN <laughs> right, and right. I, Hillary. NPR. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I was your average person just living an average life, not paying attention to politics. And I was just reading headlines like anybody else and mm-hmm. hearing, you know, turning on the news and hearing what I needed to know and thinking that was the end all be all. And so it took a while for me to open up my eyes. And I'm grateful that when I finally did, people didn't rub it in my face. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it, that's true. It, I think that the only difference is, is that these people actively uh, advocated for my oppression. So it's like, yeah. you, you have to expect, like, here's, this has been my litmus test. I don't mind any influencer that has come around that has seen the light, as long as this this new, you know, revelatory uh, moment is also expressed with some level of guilt and consideration for the harm that they caused. Like, I, I would just like to hear them say, hey, I was wrong, you know, and I was misled and it's not yeah. necessarily my fault, but regardless, I still played a part in this kind of group think psychotic moment where we locked everyone in their house for over a year, essentially. And it's like, yeah, that like there should be, Barry White shouldn't be able to get up there two years later after she was one of the biggest people speaking out in favor of, listening to the science and Fauci and all this stuff and just say, well, it's two years deep. I, I'm over it. I did the, I did the thing. And, and, you know, now we have all this new information. It's like, no, we don't now have this new information. You ignored many of the people that were speaking out against this early on and yeah. you and I being two of them. And I know it's kind of petty and I know it's, it's not necessarily like the thing I should be saying or even wanting to try and move forward. I just, I feel like I can't trust these people. If they don't have any sincere emotion as to their culpability in what transpired over the past two years, I, I f- I'm nervous about allowing them to, you know, just be accepted back into polite society, given that they treated us like such shit for two years. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I see your point completely because what happens in situations like this, we've seen it before, right? With things like the Iraq war or others where right. they, now people turn around and say, well, 
oh, that was a bad idea, you know, but, but they didn't suffer any of the consequences. People lost their jobs for being anti-war. People exactly. were smeared, being called traitors to the country, or they weren't patriots. Um, and those people were silenced and they never got their careers back. They never, they never were, you know, exonerated for, for being right. And mm -hmm. all the people that were wrong, they still have their jobs. You know, yep. they've got their cushy jobs. They're still getting to now, uh, you know, still headline, uh, news and stuff. And, and they then get to be, to, to then turn around and say, oh, I, you know, I was wrong. I'm, I, uh, the Iraq war was wrong, but they don't actually, you know, in that they should have been pointing to the people that lost their jobs and said, this person was wrongfully uh, vilified right. for having the right opinion. And we owe that person an apology and bringing that person onto their shows and kind of re-elevating those people in a way, reparations to those people, right? Right, right, right. It's like rebuilding them back up and saying- Re Reputational uh, reparations right, at a right. minimum. Yeah, yeah, saying we need to bring you back into the spotlight because you were the one who was right and we were the ones who were wrong. And they don't do that. You're right. And I worried that that was going to be my fate when it came to this pandemic. I really lucked out with being able to, with the Hill and the Hill allowing me to say what I want to say. It's like amazing. But, you know, I, I'm really fortunate that that happened because that I, I was being sort of shoved out into the, in you know, into the never world where nobody would ever hear from me again. I mean, absolutely. I mean, people were, uh, not only did people turn on me, you know, my, my followers and my viewers, but YouTube was also censoring me heavily, of course. um, and silencing and removing videos. And even now my channel, when I publish, which I plan on publishing a lot more stuff starting this next week, um, it won't get that many views because they've, they've limited my channel. I'm not allowed to have any, you know, they won't suggest my videos. Mm -hmm. They don't really yep. do the notifications because I have strikes on my channel. Yep. The uh, algo suppression because you, you told yeah. the truth too early, Kim. That's the I, problem. You gotta, yeah, right. you gotta wait until the truth is accepted by mainstream opinions and then you can talk about it openly. I mean, I, it's, it's so frustrating and, and let me pivot real quick to just saying, you know, I get a lot of praise from my audience because I was so early in this. And I, I mean, I started my show Liberty Lockdown because it was a month into lockdowns. And I was like, I knew right away this was evil and someone had to speak out about it. I didn't see enough people doing it. You were one of the few people early on from the left that had the courage to do it. It didn't take a lot of courage for me. I'm a libertarian. This is our belief system. This is exactly what you would expect from a libertarian or at least a good libertarian. The fact that you were willing to do it and risk everything. And it's just incredibly courageous so absolute applause oh, well, thank you <laughs> uh you know i i really we need so much more um people from the left that that respect bodily autonomy and medical privacy these are principles that i think the left shares with libertarians and they have been cowed into silence and it requires people on the left to show courage like you and glenn greenwald and others that are willing to buck the trend and go against the group think to give them the the uh, the courage to do the same. So you are one of those people. So thank, oh, thank you so you. much. Well, others have finally joined in, which I'm grateful for too. You know, there've been other people on the left that did finally, you know, I, and I was really shocked, to be honest. I didn't realize I would be so alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was really shocked by that. I mean, I really did not understand why all of my fellow progressives at the time were totally in the other direction. I mean, mm -hmm. it really stunned me. I, I really. Uh, you, you and me both, to be honest. 
I, I, yeah, I, I just, I was saying what I was saying and then I would tune into the other channels and I would find out they were all saying something totally opposite. And they were saying that, no, that I was for Wall Street. You know, like I mentioned, I was for Wall Street and against the little guy. And, you know, it's only the people that are in the corporate pockets that are for uh, opening up the economy so that you could go slave away for your corporate master. And, right. um, yeah, I, I just really didn't see it the way they did. And I was really, really shocked that we saw it so differently. And I'm still shocked today with so many others who we see it so differently when it comes to the mandates, you know, to vaccine mandates. I'm like, how can we see this so differently? I don't understand. You know, I, I thought being a liberal, which I've always considered myself, and I still consider myself to be a liberal, but I'm a real liberal. I don't know what these other people are. I always thought being a liberal meant that I was live and let live. You know, like let people make their own choices. Don't interfere in their lives. It's none of your business, you know, what hey. they do behind closed doors or how they want to live their life or their medical choices and their, you know, live and let live, like leave people alone. And I always thought that was a liberal way of being, which is also a libertarian way of being. It is, yeah. Um, but the, the definition no. of liberal has changed a lot. It's, it, to me, it seems as if. The people that espouse progressivism and liberalism today are much more akin to fascists, and and I know that yeah. that was that was a popularized term under the Trump presidency, and and you know I don't really care to to rehash his presidency, but I will say that it's uh, James Lindsay calls it the iron law of woke projection. It really oh, seems time. as if they they embrace fascism in in reality. They totally project. I mean, every and I worry every time they say something new because I'm like, oh no, then they're gonna do exactly what they're accusing the other side of. So I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I'm like listening carefully. What are they? What are they saying that the other side is gonna do now? And now, sure enough, they're gonna figure out a way to do it on their side. Yep. Um, every time. But every time. But they definitely have. Really, they've nailed that art of projecting onto the other. Uh, you know, everything that's bad that they're doing or wanting to do or what they will do. They say the other side is doing. Um, yeah, it's really bizarre. It, it is fascism. They, I, you know, it's funny because three years ago before the pandemic, I kept saying to some of my other fellow progressives and I would say to them, fascism is going to come from the left this time. And they'd never believe me. They're, oh, no, no. Fascism is right wing. And I'd say, no, 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 no. This time it's coming from the left. I, maybe you could argue the left isn't left anymore, but right. it's still going to come from them. You know, this is God, where that, they're. How'd they're, you know? That's incredible. Uh, they were showing the signs. They were showing the early signs of, of uh, they were the, well, the utilizing early... the 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 government and the and big business to implement their will. Yeah, you really could see that they were definitely trying. Really, we could see it with the censorship issue. Mm -hmm. So before the pandemic, you saw a lot of like AOC and squad members and people on the left calling on big tech to censor. And that was the first big warning sign that they were the ones who were going to enact or march in a new form of fascism, that it was going to come from them because they are wielding the power of government and using it onto these corporations, mm -hmm. marrying the two, and then going to use that against the people. And that is exactly the definition of fascism. And um, according to Mussolini, I, I, you know, <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty spot right. on. Yeah. I yeah. mean, this is, this is what's concerned me so much. And, and it is it's hard for people to decipher simply because they are accustomed to fascism being a right wing phenomenon. Uh, but it's yeah. it's definitionally that's what they're doing. They're utilizing the pressure of big business and the state 
in in tandem with one another to suppress dissidents. Yeah. I mean, that's it's just that's what it is. I don't I mean, and, I'm not even <laughs> And the reason it took on this uh the reason why it was categorized as right wing was because when we look at fascists such as Hitler and uh not so much Mussolini though. You know, Mussolini was more of like I think what we're kind of experiencing today a little bit mm -hmm. because he wasn't so about I, I well no, Mussolini still, Mussolini and Hitler both were um, fascists in that Mussolini was more about nationalism, whereas um, Hitler was obviously more about race, right? So he was more race focused right. and Mussolini was like Italians, like he was more about the national identity versus like the racial identity. Yep. But because they both had that sort of that, that um, identity and casting out of others that were not in that identity, that is what made them categorized as right-wing when actually many of their other views could be categorized as left-wing. Mm -hmm. um, they were very for, you know, like Hitler, I, I don't know about Mussolini as much and what he was for, for the Italian people, but Hitler was very for like, we're going to have a, you know, a car for everybody and everybody's going to have this and everybody's going to have that, right? Like he was wanting to give, you know, yeah, a better life. Welfare. Right. Yeah. National welfare. But then he was saying, but only to these people, that are of the origin, the ethnic origin that I sanctioned to be, you know, Germanic mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and so that's why it was categorized as right wing. But when you look at the left and what the left is doing, so right, they're not, they're not totally doing it in that same way, but kind of, right? When you, when you, when you know that Mussolini did it in the way where he was not about race, but more about identity. And then you go to the left and they're sort of doing it based on identity a little bit. Like they're, they're infusing that racial element in. Big time. Uh, right. So they, they bring it in. It just doesn't look the same, right? It's not like, oh, we're creating a world only for brown people, for black and brown people. They don't say that explicitly. They right. don't it's say. It's just about demonizing the oppressor, which is the, you know, straight white man. That's, that's right. how it reads to right. me at least. Right. So it is still exclusionary of a group of people based on characteristics. And I think that is where, you know, but of course, if you have that conversation with them, they're going to deny that that is an element, you know, that 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 is another, I think, indicator that they are actually uh, dabbling quite heavily at this point in fascism. Mm -hmm. right? When you say now you have also mixed in, not only are you joining in with corporations and trying to use government and corporations and marrying them together to control populations. But you've also, on top of that, now infused an element of racial identity into this. So how is that really all that different? Uh, when the, the, it's different in rhetoric, really, only in that they say this is in opposition to racism. But it, in, in reality, it has all the hallmarks of racism. Right. And, yeah, and, I mean, you can use whatever word you want to use, I suppose, but it's all about the action. What are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> what is the exactly. message? What is the overall message? I mean, you can, you can like couch anything you want in some nice, like, you know, I mean, you could sit there and say to somebody, I love you. I love you so much. And then abuse them. Right. And then say, I love you. Does that mean that, you know, your abuse wasn't really actually abuse, but that it was something else? I mean, that's so... That's gaslighting. I mean, that's that's been my experience for the right. past couple of years. No, I'm not. I'm not abusing you. I'm looking after your health. It's like, well, I'm now suicidal because I haven't right. had any sun in a year. So it's right. like, is it for my health? Actually, I mean, this is. It's been very. It's been very disturbing. But I, I wanted to ask you actually about the. Uh, you know, there's obviously a, a massive atheist movement that's within progressivism, and and it seems to me that, and I'm actually an agnostic. I'm not a religious. Mm -hmm. character at all but did you 
did you suspect or are you surprised or, or do you even agree with me that it appears that the left has made science their new religion? Is oh, that for a... sure. Absolutely. Okay. Science is the new religion. Um, well, not just science. I would say that their religion is it's like um, science Authority. is just in. Well, I don't even know. It's Science is definitely in our face right now because of the pandemic. So they're using the science mm -hmm. as the go to, you know, we'll just listen to the science. And then you're, you're like showing them science. And then they're like, no, not that science, my <laughs> science. Right. So it's science like religion. TM. Yeah, and it is. It's like religions fighting with one another. It's like, you know, the Baptist that's greeted by the Jehovah's Witness, and then they say, no, not your God, my God, right? Like, your God's not the right God. My God's the right God. Exactly. Um, so it's a very it's Fauci, similar... not, uh, not Dr. Yeah, Malone. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, whatever you're... You know, so we're seeing that now, but before the science, it was... And we also saw science being used for, like, climate change. We see that. We mm -hmm, also see... Right. And even if you do have, you know, there's like nuance to every debate, but they don't want to hear any of the nuances. No, 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 no. The science is this. But there's also, um, I would say, like, you know, obviously, wokeism is like another aspect to the religion. I think there's like various layers, but it is definitely their own morality that they have crafted. And if you don't fall in line with that morality, whatever that morality, it's like they're writing their own Bible as we speak. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know all the contents of the Bible yet because it's still being written, but maybe one day they'll finish it and then we'll be able to know. And then we'll know what we can and cannot say when we're around them. But yeah, they, they, analogy. they've definitely created their own new belief system and, and nothing can deter them. No matter how many facts we show them, it doesn't matter what you know, that that is irrelevant. They've got this belief, they're holding firm to it, and nothing can persuade them, even facts, which is really bizarre. But then they, it, there is the gaslighting because it is, well, no, we've got the facts and we're following the science. And I'm like, exactly, no, actually, yeah. I've got the facts and I'm following the science <laughs> and I'm trying to show you and you're not at all, you know. Well, I, I've given up on the facts-based argument because you're not dealing with people that are that are scientists. You're dealing with religious fanatics, in, in my view. Right, yeah. And it's like right. you don't argue facts with a religious fanatic. You have to, you have to reach them on an emotional level or a, a human level. Like it, it can't be rational thought because, in my opinion – once you get to a certain level of religiosity, you're not you're not thinking rationally. You know, right, you have faith. a belief system that, that yeah. is it's faith. It's above it's above rational thought. Yeah. So, tonight's episode is also brought to you by crash.co forward slash daily or just crash.co if you want to sign up for the the more broad based products that they offer. They're an amazing company. The main product they have is the daily job hunt, which is a newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some information on how to become a better job applicant and to get that job of your dreams. If you aren't getting paid adequately, if you're being treated poorly, if you simply aren't happy in the position you're at, you have options. There are millions of job openings that are not being filled and you are the person to go fill them, but it's a struggle sometimes. And if you can't get an interview, if you can't uh, get them to return a call, this is, this is how you get your foot in that door. Again, go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a free email newsletter. There's no cost. There's no cancellation fee. There's no excuses. None. Go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. And that's what's really weird about the vaccine conversation because they really have this faith like, and I always thought this was so bizarre, you know, with like measles vaccine, for example, when you got the vaccine, then you weren't going to get measles. You know, your likelihood of getting mm -hmm. measles was very low. 
And so if you take a hundred people and you start with one, because you only do one at a time and you start inoculating and inoculating and inoculating, um, the number of people who are getting infected and the number of people who are not getting infected, you know, that changes as the group becomes more and more inoculated. And then you reach a point where you do hit a herd immunity threshold where so many people in the group have been inoculated that the rest don't really need to be. The disease is gone, right? Because it's no longer transmitting. Um, it doesn't, you know, because the chances of a non-vaccinated and another non-vaccinated being around one another is low because so many more people, you know, the you're, it's like one in 10 is unvaccinated, sure. right? Yeah, it's basically the... You know, what, what we used to talk about in the early days of the pandemic, herd immunity, right, herd immunity. no so, longer a thing. So if you were one of the unvaccinated people, you happen to catch it. Well, you're not really going to spread it because you're around all these vaccinated people. And sure. so that would kill. So the virus wouldn't have another host to jump to. And right. so it would effectively die off. That is how herd immunity would work. And so then you could have a sub a subsegment of the population unvaccinated and it would be fine. The disease just wouldn't manifest because it wouldn't have any hosts. Well, in this situation, they seem to think that it doesn't work like gradually. It's all at once. It's like once you hit that magic number, suddenly everyone's vaccine suddenly works. You know, <laughs> like mine. It doesn't work yet, but it will work once we finally get to that eighty-five percent or ninety percent or whatever the number is. Then my vaccine will work. Well, but, it, that, that's that's also a moving Overton window, though, because it it was once we get to seventy percent or eighty percent. Then yeah. we're there, but then it became no, no. Then, then it's once you have two vaccinations, then you are part of that eighty percent that would get yeah. us to herd immunity. And then it became well, plus a booster. And now you have Israel, which is at four, and they have the the highest case rates in the world. So yeah. it's just obvious that herd immunity is not coming. And uh, I'm going to well, have to cut this segment from YouTube, but it's yeah. just the truth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just can't get to it. You know, it's not going to magically happen once we hit that magical number. And that was one thing that I thought was really interesting about the discussion and how it shifted was into this, like, what's the magic number? And I'm like, even if you knew what that magic number was, it's not magic. You know, it doesn't right. work like that. It's right, gradual. Right, right. More and more people are immune as time goes on until you hit that number where a, the rest don't have to be vaccinated. That's what that means. But yep. They were thinking like you flip a switch and suddenly everybody's works. <laughs> well, it's it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty obviously hilarious to talk about a magic number paired with science because right, like, yeah, yeah, magic science. Uh, those are kind of in in conflict right away. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, and and I, you know, it's it's concerning to me because it seems as if. There is an aspect of human nature that requires a higher power and that the vast majority of people simply can't live without it. And I've I've thought yeah, about I've thought about this a lot over the past two years because I wondered why I wasn't prey to it. You know, I, I tried to like take a step back, evaluate myself. Why was I different? Why was I able to see through this stuff early on? Why did I not go with the crowd? And what I concluded is that in a way, because I was like, well, I'm not really religious. So why is it that this is it seems to be the people who are atheists that are prone to this scientism as the new religion and, and worshiping Fauci and every word that comes down from on high that he has to say, they just absolutely love it. And I started to think to myself and I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not deeply religious, but I think that I worship liberty. You know, I think that that's, I have a, a something that's bigger than me and and that's, that's kind of my religion. I don't know if that's no, a that's fair a thing point. to call a religion, yeah. but- I think that's a I think that's a fair point. I think that's a, a good point um, because a lot of people are willing to die for freedom, right? Right, because they believe it's it's bigger than them. 
So it's not exactly. about, yeah. And that, I, so a lot of people, they do believe in freedom. It is a belief. It's something that they have faith in that will work for humanity, that they yeah. believe is the best way, you know, morally forward. So I guess there is, you know, a, an element of, I guess, your own religion, your own of faith. faith. Yeah. yeah. Because it's belief. like, it's like, I, like I could have a better life in a oppressive regime if I were to, because I'm smart and I could probably rise through the ranks of like some communist regime and end up in some <laughs> presidential <laughs> palace or something. Right. But I still believe that it is it is more moral, it is better. And even if my outcome under tyranny might be beneficial versus, you know, having to scrap in a purely uh, capitalist society, I still would prefer to have to fight, you know, like I, that's, yeah. that's my preference. And, the, and there's a faith aspect there where I believe that it's a better outcome for people on the whole. And then it even gets into the aspect of like consideration for uh, my fellow man, you know, where I'm like, this is, it's not even about me. I believe that people are better under freedom than they are under harsh governmental rule. And that, that's just, I mean, I think I, I can prove it empirically and I think that I have evidence to demonstrate it, but it, it's irrelevant. Like, I, I believe that regardless of the fact that I think I can also prove it. I don't know. It's a weird thought. Yeah, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I, I know I want to live in a free, independent country. I know I want my freedom. That is something that I value very, very much. And I would be willing to die for my freedom and for the freedom of others. I do know that because I do believe in it so strongly. Um, I, I would, I would rather die than be, um, be, yeah, totally, sure. completely. Yeah. So, um, but you know, not everybody shares that sentiment and I don't blame them. I, I don't think that there's like a flaw with them. I think that, you know, for me, I'm half Asian, I'm half Vietnamese and I, there is a different mentality often in Asian culture. And that is mm. more of a collectivist True. mentality. Yeah. And it is not about the individual. It is not about your freedom. It is not about you. It is about us. It is about we. And mm -hmm. that is a different mentality, but it's a mentality that I do actually think works in a lot of, a lot of times better than the, the, a, a democratic society. I mean, we see it happening, you know, we see how efficient China is in getting stuff done compared sure. to how inefficient our um, constantly, you know, a, a gridlocked democracy is. So I do think that there's actually a lot of benefit in uh, it's a different it's a different benefit. I guess you have to decide which one you value it's a more. Yeah, it's a trade off. I personally don't want to live like that. My family clearly didn't. That's why they left Vietnam. But so my family has a bit of more of an individualist streak mm -hmm. in them. But I do still have family in Vietnam that that don't. And when we would have conversations, like, for example, about the pandemic, I have cousins in Vietnam still, and they've never been here to America. And we would have conversations about the pandemic and they would just say, like, we don't understand you. Like, why aren't you all just doing this thing that you clearly <laughs> just need to do, you know? Right. So, but that was the Vietnamese mentality in a communist country. I mean, they have a very different collectivist. We work as one, we operate as one. And if we all do it, then we're all better off together. And it's not about you. And, you know, they it, it's different. And, yeah. you know, but yeah, on the I flip side, like my cousin, for example, can't come to America to visit unless I write a letter to the government saying that she's invited and that she's going to come stay. And I have to give them my address, you know, the communist regime, you know, the communist uh, government of Vietnam, I might have to give them my address and 
her, her itinerary and you know like wow. everything she's going to be right it's a it's a very controlled so you have to do the same thing if you're going to go to russia they need to know where you're going who you're seeing what you're doing True. you know so well, I mean, that's partially just because of the antagonic antagonistic relationship that the with the US united government, states yeah yeah, yeah 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 so there's it's a bit more because of that i would say more than the government being controlled. but also when i have conversations with my cousins online they stop and they say we cannot talk about this we'll get in trouble so they are not free Oh no, and, certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. And they're and they're not, but they also don't seem to mind. You know, it's it's a <laughs> that's what I mean. Like they don't they like their life the way it is. My cousin had the opportunity to immigrate to America. Um, we absolutely could have done the papers and gotten her over here. She chose not to. I mean, yeah. No, you you're know, right. Some people I this is this has been probably the harshest realization I've had over the past two years is that. I thought it was a shared ethos Me amongst too. the American people <laughs> that like yeah. being free and risking, you know, risk and personal assessment of risk. Like these were all shared beliefs, like across party lines to a large extent. And, and I was wrong, you know, and, and to want I to have, too. to have independence and to think for yourself and to speak freely. And like many of the libertarian ideals that I thought were just shared across the board by all Americans, or at least the vast majority I, it, it is verging on a minority opinion. And that is horrifying to me. That is, that has been the one thing that has scared me the most in this pandemic more than anything is how wrong I was about my fellow <laughs> Americans. I right. mean, I just, I really believe, you know, because people would ask me back when I, you know, I was against the lockdown. So of course I started to get a lot of people that were starting to watch my show who were more you know, in the same way of thinking. And a mm -hmm. lot of them would, would email me and say, Cam, Cam, but what about mandates? You know, if we get this vaccine, they're going to mandate it on us. And I, I really, I was like, no way is that going to happen. <laughs> we live in America. Like yeah. they're never going to do that to us. Like, where, you know, what kind of society are we? We're Americans. We're against that. There's no way the government could do it. We would all rise up. We revolt. There's no way. Yep. I cannot believe how wrong I was on that. I was so wrong on that. And it's so scary how wrong I was on that. And it, it frightens me. I mean, who are we? But I think we've just, I think that there has been a, a growing, you know, I, I, I think that when, when we look back at Asia and the Asian countries that are more collectivist and operate like a Borg, if you're familiar with Star Trek, I'm a total yeah, Trekkie. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think that there's th those types of governments, you know, obviously they're humans, they're people, they share human emotions and all the same. So they've got the same, you know, pressure points and the same soft spots that we do. And so clearly those governments were crafted based on those soft spots that those, you know, whatever it was that the people wanted and needed. And that can be found anywhere around the world, those soft spots, those, those points, those pressure points. And clearly, um, this pandemic hit it for a lot of people. This pandemic sure was the thing that got a lot of people to think more in a collectivist, you know, no, we must do this thing together. Um, and I'm not against doing things together. Of course, if it is for the best in the in the collective, I, I am for that in certain things. But you've got to, for one, you got to prove it to me that it's going to work, you know. Well, it, my, my only litmus test on that is, is it voluntary? <laughs> because right, right. because if it's if it is for the best interest of everybody, you don't have to force me to do it. No, I will do just, it. You would tell us, and we would we would agree because we you would right. show us that it would work, right? right. And so we would be more in, a, akin to do it because we'd say, 
yeah, okay. That seems like something we collectively should do together. And then you have the outliers and they don't want to do it, I suppose. And of course, um, you're never going to get a hundred percent on anything, but right. it's like, I just don't, once, once I start to feel otherized and, and if I ask any questions, you start to demonize me. Well, now you've lost me entirely. You know, like if you want to make an argument and make an argument, first off, you'd, it'd be great if you would just make that argument. But then secondarily, you have to respect that I am an autonomous human being that has my own opinion. And that if I have questions, they should be respectfully responded to. Yeah. And, I, and that's, that's like, that is part of what I think we lack now with this government. Whereas even 40, 50 years ago, there was just a greater respect for the people. And, and it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm not trying to write a hagiography hey, about, you know, the government of 40 or 50 years ago, cause they were shit too. Um, but just comparatively, it seemed as if there was a greater respect for the people. And now it's basically like my way or the highway, do it because we control you and we can make your life hell if you don't go along for the ride. And I just don't see how that's anything that aligns I, with my American ideal. I don't, I don't think we've changed. I don't think that, um, I, I think society back then was just as bad. I think it just depended on who you were. Sure. And, you sure. know, so I think for a lot of people, it was, there was a lot of respect and they'd listen to you. But I think for a lot of people, it, the government and the, and the society didn't, you know, people no, hit. No, you're, they undoubtedly had, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had double lives. Um, and also we have to remember that there was such a thing as McCarthyism. And I think that is very similar to kind of what we're living in now where we've got, you know, people being demonized for not being vaccinated like Aaron Rodgers or Joe Rogan or, you know, people that have come out uh, bravely and stated their vaccination status that they, you know, um, they're being others, you know, they're being, it's like McCarthyism. They, people want to cancel them. They want yeah. to, yeah. So it's really, really, but you know, that did exist before. I mean, if you were found to be somehow, you know, they could blacklist you if they thought that you were somehow a Russian sympathizer, if you were against the cold war or whatever it was, I mean, I suppose they could, <clears throat> you no, know, you you're totally right. I mean, that that's that's absolutely great points. All right. Well, the government sucked forever. Um, yeah, that's, uh... yeah, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a libertarian, so that should work in your favor, right? Because you're saying, hey, less government, like, because they suck and they always suck and there's never a good government. So get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, this is my argument. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just that it felt as if there was a greater, I mean, th I'm, I'm more referencing my parents and the, their, their analysis of things as I've watched them evolve in their political ideology over the past two years. And it just seems to them that, or it seems to me that in watching them, they are really, you know, uh, set aback by by witnessing the complete lack of respect for their their opinions anymore. And yeah, and I think that that's probably why I extrapolated it to you know, probably not taking into consideration of uh, sexual minorities and racial minorities and or just and hippies. What they went I mean, through, in yeah. the '60s, it was just the hippies, right? '60s and '70s. True. I mean, if you True. were against the Vietnam War. And you had long hair, you know, the cops would stop you and, and, uh, and maybe, you know, put you in some handcuffs and question you. I mean, people, if you had a, a differing viewpoint from the majority or something that seemed to be against authority, then you were demonized and outcast by society as, you know, ha being a rebel of some kind that was wrong in some way. And yeah. now, and now we're seeing that here. Although th this time with this stuff, I kind of wonder uh, I wonder how much of it is fake. You know, I wonder how much of it is just the media pretending like everybody's in agreement and then making oh, us feel like percent. we're outcast, yeah. you know? 
Huge percent. And, it, and it, I, I have, this is like the main driving force behind my show is that I want to show people that, because my show really exploded in popularity over the past two years because I was one of the most vocal, outspoken, passionately against lockdowns. And I said, look, I get DMs dozens a week saying, thank you so much for saying what I can't. And my point has been all along, yeah. you can. The reason you think you can't is because there are millions of people that feel how we do that are unwilling to speak out. And that goes for the left and the right. There are people yeah. of all political stripes that think this is morally abhorrent. And if we, if we are so scared about what I believe is a morally righteous stance, then of course you're going to allow evil to prevail. Like, right. why would you not speak out in this moment? So I'm, yeah, I'm the grateful silent, that, like, silent like, majority, like I, said, I suppose. I'm, well, yeah, it is. I mean, and, and I'm not even saying it's necessarily majority, but right. it is certainly a, a significant chunk. force. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I've been I've been really um, relieved, I think, in my own just personal inner circle to find that the smartest people I know have all been aligned, you know, like <laughs> at least there's that. Better, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where I'm like, OK, this really intelligent person who I've always had great conversations and connections with is also in agreement on this. Yeah. Um, that is that has been really refreshing, I suppose. But then it's like, great. Now we've got all of these, you know, idiots that are out there. <laughs> <laughs> controlling us and there's nothing we can do about it um yeah i mean it's just it's a really crazy world we're living in. and yeah it, it is tough to speak out it is very scary i've been very lucky that the hill has allowed me to say what i've been wanting to say on a lot of these things and cover the stories that i want to cover but there is still the censorship i mean youtube has limited my channel so it's like i could get millions of views on the hill and get ten thousand views only on my own channel saying the exact Probably. same thing right, right. Right. Because of the censorship. Well, I, this this is a perfect tie into what I want to kind of round out this conversation about. Are you familiar with ESG scores? No. Okay. ESG, um, James Lindsay's been doing a lot of work on this, and, and I intend to be doing a thread and a solo episode explaining it to everybody because it is kind of a new thing. Um, ESG is envir environmental, social, and government scores, and it's essentially this this scheme. It's It's a way of weaponizing wokeism into capitalism so it's like the the final frontier of the implementation of woke fascism so this like social credit score it's kind of like that but on a on a corporate level so there's this guy named larry fink who's the ceo of blackrock and he has been probably the biggest proponent of esg scores oh no a proponent and it's blackrock because they own the world exactly. so now we've got a real problem <laughs> We have a huge problem, and it's a problem that very few people are privy to, and this is why I wanted to to discuss it with you. Essentially, what they're trying to do is make it so that they will give a score based off of your woke merit. You know, if you're if you are hiring a certain amount of quota of racial minorities, if you are focusing on carbon reduction, like every the whole litmus test of whatever you would think a woke person would care about, that's yeah. what they're doing on a corporate level. But the, the reason it's so dangerous, and my, my background, since you certainly don't know, was in finance as a mortgage broker. So like this is kind of my expertise. I get into the business world. I can tie all of these things together. And I, I feel like that gives me a, a kind of a, a niche that needs to be filled. So what they're trying to do is make it so that these big capital funds, you know, hedge funds and things like that, will not invest in businesses unless they have a high ESG score. So it allows them to implement their ideal, in my view, Marxist worldview on big business across the globe. Because if you can't get capital, if you aren't doing what they ask, X, Y, Z list of things, 
then you can't get you can't be successful in the new uh, new world order. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, the new world order. Um, interesting. I wonder though if it would just create a parallel underground society. I mean, I think that's what we're kind of seeing now. You're right. In a way, yeah. with like with the current pandemic, is we you know, we people, are it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, look, you've run off to Florida, right? Right. Right. So people are running off to these other states that they feel like they're going to be more free in, that they're going to have that that you know these types of things aren't going to be um, forced onto them. And so I wonder if, yeah, you might have these, this, this kind of, you know, group. Oh, did I freeze? Am I still there? Oh, no, you're still there. I look frozen on my end. Oh, okay. I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, people, they, uh, they, I mean, I just wonder if they, so you'll have one group of investors that won't want to invest or, you know, in you, unless you have a certain ESG score, but then there's going to be others that say, we don't care about that. And then it's going to create this parallel society. That's what well, I would think. That would be fine if it weren't for the fact that the, the woke folks have access to the Federal Reserve and the non-woke do not. So it, right. it's such an uneven playing field. Like I am all for competition as a libertarian. I'm a free market guy. Like that's what I want. But if you have, you know, access to cheap or free trillions of dollars from central banks, I don't know how we compete. It just seems as if they the deck is so so stacked against us. It's unbelievable. Yeah, especially if it's BlackRock. I mean, that's going to be really challenging. But, you know, we'll see what happens, like, for example, with Trump, right? Like he starts at this truth social. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess we could kind of wait and see what happens with that. And if, um, you know, if that actually works to combat like big tech and they're and they're sort of the same thing. Right. Um, you it's, know, so that'll be kind of interesting to see. Oh, it's and then if, if, if there could be then like another venture capital firm that kind of rises up, I don't know. That's what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, uh, obviously my argument would be that abolition of central banking is is something that I would like to see the left and the right come together on because it, it in my view, ev almost everything that the left has legitimate grievance about, income inequality and, um, I mean, just the the terrible nature of corporatism mm -hmm. uh is a product of cheap capital that is a product of the federal reserve and and i don't feel like the left talks about it much and i don't know if it's that they don't care about it or if they think ultimately it's being used for their their ends so even if it is kind of corrupt and evil well it's it's benefiting us so who cares my argument would be that it's not benefiting you and that the income inequality that you lament is a product of that. Uh, is that is this something that ever gets discussed in your circles, or is it? How, am I totally off base? Uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't really have circles to discuss things anymore. <laughs> like, who would I discuss this with? I'm mean, talking about it with you. I don't know. Um, That's true. Not a lot of people talk about the Federal Reserve, so I guess that was. Yeah, kind of I mean, question, I definitely but. talk a lot. I mean, I definitely study the Federal Reserve as much as I can. I don't. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the, you know, the financial system and the economy and what is going on and, and the Fed and they're kind of meddling and everything. And um, oh, Kim, I am going to turn you into a libertarian once, yeah, you, think once so? you get this stuff down. I'm telling you, because you come away like like I think that there's real justifiable reasons to be concerned about in income inequality, but not if it's a meritocratic meritocratic income inequality, because like if you're. If you're better, if you're if you're more intelligent, if you work harder, like there are reasons for people to have more than others. Like that, that's yeah. that's human nature. But the reason that in income inequality is so evil 
is because it's it's predicated on the most corrupt system historically, which is central banking. And and I think that that if we could get some sort of unification from the left and the right and the libertarian realm on this issue, it would be so powerful because I really believe the vast majority of what ails society today is central banking and, and no one talks about it. And I just, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I'm probably beating well, down the wrong door. But no, no, sorry. no. You know, actually, it's funny because um, back in September, October of 2019, I was actually starting to cover the story. This was before the pandemic. And then, it, and then the pandemic kind of uh, took over everybody's minds. But um, I was actually looking more into it. I was trying to start learning more and studying more about the Fed because, you know, they, they were dumping money into the overnight repo market. Remember this when they were dumping $75 billion a night into the banking oh, yeah. system? And nobody was even covering it or even paying any attention to it. And I was like, this is really odd that they would be dumping money into the overnight repo market. And then on top of it, Powell decides to, you know, and, and of course the media says, well, it's because Trump was um, pressuring him, Trump was pressuring him, but they lowered interest rates in a good economy, so-called good right. economy. But, you know, the indicator to me was this is not a good economy because they're dumping money. You know, why don't the banks have any money? Like, what's See, their problem? You right? already have the brain for this. You're, <laughs> you're critically thinking you're, you're miles ahead of most people. But it's interesting because I was re-watching those videos because now I'm paying more attention again to the economy because I think we're about to hit a really big crash. Me and too. um and I was revisiting those videos that I had I had made back in September and in October. I did two of them on my channel. And in one of the videos, I said, look, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I, I get the feeling that all bad things lead to the Fed, hey. <laughs> that all bad things end up in this one spot and that this is the one spot that's like controlling everything when it comes to like wars and yeah. like everything. And so that is already a feeling and an instinct I have. It's just so complicated. I don't come from the financial world. Right. Um, and oh, you know, it, it is complex. I, I do not try to downplay it at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just all the, the, the lingo, you know, and, yes. <laughs> and of course make it as complicated as possible to keep outsiders out. Of course. Right? Yeah. Like, so it's, I thought I need to get like the book for dummies, like, um, <laughs> you know, financial terms for dummies so that when I am reading other stuff, I can understand exactly what I'm, what I'm, you know, cause a lot of this stuff isn't really that complex when you take all of the complex words and exactly, you know, yep. out of it, if you just, you could explain things in very dummy terms and any, anybody can understand it. But it, I do think exact... that all bad things lead back to the Fed. Yeah. <laughs> I well, just well, haven't hey, figured that... out exactly how yet. Yes. I'm going to consider that a win. No, you're totally right. I mean, this is exactly the argument again. I can't believe I'm referencing James Lindsay this much, but he's obviously had a big impact over me uh, since he came on last month. Um, you know, he says that critical race theory is like a mile wide, but an inch deep. It's, it's basically it's just obfuscating a very simple principle but it's it's couched in all of these like you know 50 cent words that <laughs> make people right. kind of feel afraid of it and i feel that's how the federal reserve yeah. operates too it's like this isn't really that complex like you you pump trillions of paper units of currency into the system and then you have inflation and it's like well that's not a mystery especially if you make it so right. that people can't work and produce like you have supply and demand these are all fairly simple concepts that the vast majority of people understand but then they talk about it in reverse repo and all this other language that makes yeah, it very they use confusing crazy languages and you know it, it is like its own foreign language and then you just can't understand it and lawyers do the same thing right i mean they're always using yep. all of the just to keep you in taxes accountants do the same thing exactly yeah. you know it's just Tax to keep, code itself. yeah it's just to keep regular people needing professionals yep and then we have to rely on them and their opinion and they know best and um, but, you know, it is such a big subject. I do feel like I have to take a college course 
you know, in it's, order to understand a, oh, it yeah. no, or take your for time. many college <laughs> courses in order for me to fully wrap my mind around it. I, I really like to understand something thoroughly before I even cover it or talk about it. I love um, that. And before That's the great. pandemic, I was very heavy on foreign policy. That was really more of my, my lane, I would say is foreign policy. Um, and then, and then, you know, the pandemic hit and I just got real sidetracked because I think this is like the number one biggest topic of our lifetime, because this is the biggest infringement on our liberties that I've seen in our lifetime, at least for yeah. us. Um, Human rights, civil rights, all of it. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's, it's uh, unbelievable, an unbelievable, um, yeah, it's just been really, really crazy. And I hope, I hope we don't ever see another one of these again. So I just can't I just, wait for no, this just, to be over so I could fix, so I could start focusing again on foreign policy and the Fed. <laughs> yes, there you go. Well, uh, unfortunately, I think uh, the Fed is is the the root cause of their capacity to lock us down in the first place because we would have had a most uh, immediate uh, financial strife had they not had the capacity to just print money like they did. So, anyways, we'll we'll um, I, let me get you out of here on this because I I would be remiss not to use your expertise in the the foreign um, you know militarism realm. What is is this a movement towards? real war with russia world war three is it fear-mongering and a distraction to allow them to funnel money to their crony uh war-mongering profiteers what do you think yeah i don't think we're going to go into an actual real war i do think that there is a possibility that biden does send some troops over uh stations them in really odd spots i mean look the area that's under contention is an area that's already under control of the separatists so Ukraine hasn't had control over these two areas for a while. I mean, years, they haven't had any control over these areas. And right. so, um, you know, the issue has been that Ukraine won't talk to the separatists, the leadership in these areas, because to them, it's like China talking to Taiwan, right? They don't want to even acknowledge that you're separate. They're like, no, you're ours. You're with us. You're not a real leader. So they won't even talk to them. They're instead talk. They've been talking to Russia instead about this area and russia has had to play like middleman in this region mm -hmm. and so you know it's like where's biden going to send these troops i mean he can't send them to the area where the separatists have control and that's the area in question that's the area where if putin were to come in and take or annex a part of ukraine it would be those areas um so it's like he would send them somewhere else i think he might do that in order to um, get his ratings up. I think he needs a war. I talked about this today on the Hill. I think that Biden at this point, he's at a loss. Everything sucks right now in Biden's America. Yep. So, uh, and, and it doesn't look like the fed is going to get any control over the economy. I don't th I think it's a runaway train and the fed is like winging it. So, um, Biden's screwed. And the only thing that he has left in his playbook is war, but God. there's no way we're going to war with Russia. So it would okay. have to be somehow a, kind of boots on the ground of, you know, uh, the, the the best thing that Biden could hope for is that Russia doesn't actually come in and annex this region. You know, Russia's had plenty of opportunities to do it. It's like I said, it's been under separatist control for years. So if Russia wanted the area, they could have taken it a long time ago. Yeah. And they, di they didn't. They don't really want the area. They don't want to be responsible for these people. Hmm. So, um, so I, what, what, what is the, why are they posturing as if that's the case because i mean that's they're, that's they're obviously not, the u.s government's argument i i don't know what the truth yeah, is. yeah they're not really i mean russia all russia wants russia wouldn't want to even absorb this region russia would actually want this region to stay independent 
separate from Russia and separate from Ukraine because Russia wants a border buffer between NATO and Russia. They don't yes. want NATO right on their borders. I think so they need is, yeah. these separatists to remain in control of these areas because then NATO can't put bases in those areas. There if Ukraine go. gets those areas back, bases and troops show up at the Russian border. That is like the Cuban Missile Crisis all over again, right? But we're doing it'd be, it it'd be like it'd be like China putting nukes in Tijuana. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's, what it's, are you doing? Right. It's insane. And so we are the aggressors on this one. We are trying to ruffle their feathers because the demands that Russia's made, they've made two demands. The one demand is they've asked the United States and NATO to not expand NATO into the Eastern Bloc. They do not want NATO near their borders, right? That's a fair enough request. They've asked this a long time ago. We said we wouldn't put any of the Warsaw Pact into NATO and we are liars, right? We've been doing it anyway. So the United States has said, so Blinken has said that uh, that's a non-negotiable, which I, uh, look, as your average American sitting here in America, not wanting war, that is absolutely a negotiable. You agree to that. Not only <laughs> yeah. is it negotiable, you agree to it. You agree. Right. You're not going to put Ukraine in NATO. Why do you need Ukraine in NATO? You don't need them. Yep. It's like they did the same thing when they put Montenegro in NATO. Do you really think anyone from Montenegro is going to come and like defend our borders if we get invaded? I mean, it's the no. most ridiculous thing. They only brought in Montenegro to piss off the Russians because it's a Russian hotspot for vacationing and second homes. It's there There's go. a lot of Russians there. And uh, so they they made it part of NATO just to upset them. And you know, for no reason. They're not they're not helpful to us in our national defense. Right. So, you know, look, we don't need Ukraine. They're they're doing it. And the, the second demand that Russia has made is Russia would like um, Ukraine to talk directly to the separatists, to the leadership of the separatists. And Ukraine says, no, we're not going to do it because they're they're like China with Taiwan. They're like, no, that's our area. We're not going to acknowledge them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those two those are the two demands Russia has. Ukraine has said, no, I kind of understand Ukraine's position a bit better. The United States, on the other hand, we have no excuse. We should be saying, of course, we're not going to put Ukraine in NATO. Yeah. Well, it, do you think that this is all just a relic of of a bunch of old Cold War veterans that that just can't let go? Or is there is it just about financial interests? Uh, do you a mix? What do you think? It's financial and political is what I think. I think politically... It's in everybody's best interest in Washington to demonize Russia. So mm. if you're a Democrat, it's all about Russia, Russia, Russia and Trump. And they meddled in the election and, and Russia's the root of all of our, you know, if we lose elections, it's Russia's fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And for the warmongering Republicans, you know, the ones that are that are warmongers, not all Republicans are just like not all Democrats believe in Russiagate. But the ones that are, you know, they love to say, oh, well, we've got a problem. You know, we've got to protect Ukraine. You know, we they love the military industrial complex. It makes them look strong. They like to point at Obama as being weak because he didn't do anything when Russia annexed Crimea. So mm -hmm. it's 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 a play for both sides. They love it. They get to get in on this and they both get to say, oh, you know, America, right. Yeah, Russia's yeah, yeah. bad. And look what Russia's doing. Russia's <laughs> not really like anybody anybody needs to worry about. Um, financially, though, it's a problem because Europe is increasingly starting to turn towards Russia for energy. Right. And even though the United States has offered up energy, it's expensive for us to deliver natural gas to, to Europe. We yeah, can't just for do it geographic as, reasons. Yeah, and it's not it's not quick. It's it's not cheap. And so, right. of course, they've turned to Russia instead, and that has made us very uncomfortable because you know a lot of our proxy wars. When you look at pretty much all of our proxy wars over the last like since World War II, have been mm -hmm. against Russia in some yep. way. 
And so this really um, hinders that because we rely on our on our uh, European allies to join in on these battles. And now they're not going to, you know, they're already kind of saying, you know, we're already getting the signaling from Germany where they're like, ah, take it easy now, you know. Right, right. We like Russia now, you know, we're friends with <laughs> Russia, so take it easy. We need that so, natural gas. Come yeah, on. Yeah, so so we're we're losing our allies on all of these proxy wars that we're going to want to we're going to want to engage in, which is why we're trying to shift now towards China on that, but China's not militaristic in the same way that Russia was. I mean, the USSR and the United States, it was an arms race we built up. China's not doing it that way. They're they're playing a whole different ball game with us. And mm -hmm. we don't even know how to play their game. They're playing no, like a very complicated game of Go and we're playing <laughs> checkers, right? right? So we don't know how they're playing. And and so the only play that the United States has against China now is like pointing at them and saying, Uyghurs and Taiwan, Uyghurs and Taiwan and, right. and Hong Kong, right? Like we don't know anything else other than your bad, evil, inhumane people doing bad things to people. And so maybe we should go to war with you over it right mm -hmm. yeah it's really well that insane. was well that uh <laughs> I, i'm gonna take that as an optimistic spin because you said there's no chance that we go to war with russia and i pray yeah, right. you're right i really do and that was uh absolutely beautiful explanation i really want to thank you for your time kim if you, you. can let people know where to follow you i am sure you'll get a, a bunch of new listeners because it is so rare to find a an honest uh you know deep thinking person on the left that will that will, <laughs> that will come on and talk to me so thank you so much yeah, uh, well, I have my YouTube channel. So if you just search for Kim Iverson on YouTube, uh, or actually if you go to KimIversonShow.com, I think that'll you take you to the YouTube channel. So then you can subscribe there. I am going to get a, a Rumble channel launched, but I'm also on the Hill. So you can definitely find me there. But all of my pieces I do also put on my YouTube channel to make it easy for you to find. So if you want to see me on the Hill, you can also see it on my channel. So just go to KimIversonShow.com. Easy. Perfect. <laughs> and, and if anyone out there would like to support my show in uh, interviews like this, where we reach across the aisle and we find rational people in all political stripes, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Thank you so much again for coming on, Kim. It was great. Thank you. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you probably wonder what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air 
July Screaming in the mic, I rip a 59 Miles to ratio, that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war, but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, we'll come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe